0: Well, today is week six. We're wrapping up, what is the gospel? And uh, we allowed um, some questions to frame this series for us. Uh, the first question was this, um, to whom are we accountable? Why does it matter what I do? Who To whom are we all accountable? Uh, the second question was, in what condition does this accountability find us in? And then we looked at the next week, uh, this question of, well, what has God done to address that issue within us? And then last week, we got together and we talked about what our response is to that. Like, what what do I need to do to receive what God has to offer to me? And we looked at faith and repentance. Well, this week, we're going to wrap up our series uh, answering the question, uh, what is my role in my spiritual growth? If I'm saved by faith, not by works, then what happens after I'm saved Uh, Are are there any works for me? Is there anything for me to do? How do I move forward now as a Christian? What is my role in my spiritual growth? And so uh, here to answer that question for us today is one of our members. Uh, He's a community group leader. Uh, He's on the preaching team, and he's actually a really good friend of mine. So please join me in welcoming John Isaacson to the stage. John, come on up.
1: All right. Good morning. Well, this is a huge privilege to get to do this. And uh, so I just want to start out by saying thank you to Jason for the invitation and also thanks to God just for the the privilege of getting to do this this morning. So um, as Jason said, uh, I'm going to look at this fifth and final question in this series, what is the gospel, Uh, addressing the question, what is our role in our spiritual growth? And I'm just going to go straight to the answer and then we'll close in prayer. No, kidding. But straight to the answer, the answer is, what is is our role in our spiritual growth? Our role in our spiritual growth is to continue to believe the good news of the gospel and all of its benefits, even though we're naturally inclined to hope in something less. Our role in in our spiritual growth is to continue to hope and delight in and believe the good news of the gospel and all of its benefits, and to do this even though we're, we are naturally inclined to hope in something less. That's where we're going. So to try to flesh out this, this idea, I want to start us off with a question. And the question is this, what is the thing uh, or things that you most naturally gravitate toward to give yourself a sense of identity, a sense of self? sense of worth what's the thing that allows you to look yourself in the mirror and know I'm an okay person or I'm an okay Christian or to frame it in uh, Rocky Balboa language what's the thing that allows you to look yourself in the mirror and know that you're not a bum remember he was like I got to go the distance and then I'll know that I'm not a bum like what is your synonym to go in the distance so that you know you're not a bum This is kind of an abstract question. It might be easier to maybe get the answer to it if we ask it this way. Around what do you tend to organize your life? Or what do you most fear losing? Things like this. And this is a question that I'm asking everyone in the room, so not just to Christians. So if you're here this morning and you're like, I wouldn't consider myself a Christian, this is a question for all of us. Again, what thing or things do you most naturally gravitate toward to give yourself a sense of worth, a sense of value, a sense of identity, a sense of self? Uh, So for some of us, it might be the success of our children or the success of our parenting. Uh, For many of us, it might be the health of our marriage, like how well our marriage is doing. Uh, Maybe for you, it's your physical beauty. Maybe for you, you've made a lot of money, and that's the thing that gives you a sense of identity. Or maybe for some principled reason, you've given up opportunities to make a lot of money, and and that gives you a sense of identity. Uh, Maybe for you, you've always wanted to be a part of the in crowd, and now you're here, and you know the secret handshake, and you know know the, the lingo, and that gives you a sense of, of self, a sense of identity. Well, uh, as Jason just read, Paul has a list like this. He has a list that he uh, would naturally cling to or gravitate toward uh, apart from Jesus to, to uh, justify his existence, and we find it in Philippians chapter three. So I'm gonna read the first few verses here to give us some, some context um, as we get to, to his list. He says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it is safe for you. He says, Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. And so Paul starts this this passage here, Philippians 3, by telling his friends in Philippi to rejoice in the Lord. He says, to say this again is good for you. We need to be reminded of this constantly. And he's previously unpacked that the gospel now is completely different than Judaism. It is all about what Christ has done for us. And so rejoicing in him, it's reorienting, reorienting, reorienting our perspective to him. It's, it, there's, it's a safeguard for me to tell you this again, Paul says. He says, though, watch out because people are coming, will be coming into your midst. They're dogs. They're evildoers. They are the mutilation. And what he's talking about, these were, the, were, were called the Judaizers. They were, they were Jewish Christians. Who they, so they believed Jesus was the Messiah. They believed the gospel. But they also taught that you had to be circumcised and that you had to keep the law. And Paul is saying, watch out for this. Watch out for this message. This is a destructive heresy. It is a cancer. And you have to reject it. These people are evildoers. Have nothing to do with this. Then he goes back and he continues to unpack what it means to rejoice in the Lord. He's like, we are those who worship the Lord in spirit. We, we glory in Christ Jesus. And again, we put no confidence in the flesh. We put no confidence in ourselves, uh, in the things that we would naturally gravitate toward to justify our existence. This is, it's, it's, it's all Jesus at this point. Um. And and then he says um, he says although I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, so and again he's referring back to these Judaizers. He's like these guys want to they they, he, they want you to glory in your flesh to to your your own ability to to um, to create a righteousness for God, and he's like if there's anybody on earth who had who could put confidence in their flesh, it's me. Paul says and and um, so he goes on he's going to give us his list of things that he would apart from Christ naturally gravitate toward to justify his existence he says I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin a Hebrew of Hebrews as to the law of Pharisee as to zeal a persecutor of the church and as to righteousness under the law, blameless. So this list that Paul gives us here is is obviously very, uh, these are very Jewish things. But I think that they all correspond to things that we can identify with today. So for instance, he says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. And what he's saying is, I come from a really godly family. I come from a, a great family. Like, my family did things by the book. And probably by implication, and I do things by the book. But here he was, he was deriving a sense of like, I came from a pillar family, a a godly family. He says, I'm of the nation of Israel. Um, So here he's talking about more like cultural pride. And for us, it could be something like, I'm an American. Or for us here in Texas, it's probably more like, I'm a Texan. Right. Um, but it's really actually to, to identify as a, a part of the nation of Israel. They, that was more of a religious cultural pride. They weren't just a national a nationalistic pride that you would have being part of the nation of Israel. It was I'm part of this religious thing. And so for us, it might be, you know, I was born and raised a Southern Baptist. Like I can count on. Two hands, how many times I've missed church in the last 35 years. Things like that. Um, Paul goes on, he says, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. So here, you know, I'm not just your average churchgoer. Um, It would be similar to us finding a sense of identity in, in being a leader or being a pastor or being an elder or seminary trained, things like that. He says, as to the law, a Pharisee. And so the Pharisees were like the elite sect of the Jewish religion with really specific theological distinctions that made them who they were. And so for us, it might be some theological distinction that that we hold to, that, that we find important. Like, you know, my view of the end times, or I'm... A Calvinist, or I'm an Arminian, or I'm something in between, but I know what I am, and I find a sense of identity in that. Um, And then Paul goes on, he says, As to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. And what he's saying is that he he was pointing out he was so meticulous in his obedience to the law prior to knowing Jesus that people would have certainly been like, there is nobody like you. If anybody has kept the law, it is you. And, and so Paul, again, um, he's setting up his sort of resume in response to these Judaizers. In a few minutes from here, he's going to destroy this and just say, man, yeah, I outdo all of you guys in my ability to keep the law, And yet it's worth nothing. That's where he's going with this. But apart from Jesus, these would be the kinds of things that he would naturally gravitate toward to give himself a sense of worth, a sense of identity. And notice that most of the things that we see in Paul's list or our own list that we might look to to give ourselves a sense of safety, identity, I'm using synonymous words here, self, Um, they're not bad things in themselves right? Like, I'm, I'm glad I'm an American. Like, I'm glad I'm a Texan. Um, I'm glad I have theological convictions. I'm glad that I care about my kids, and I want to be a good dad, or I care about my marriage, and I want it to be as awesome as it can be. Like, these are not bad things in and of themselves. But as we'll see as Paul goes on, to find a sense of hope in these things is absolutely devastating in comparison to finding our hope in Christ alone. And so again, what is our part in our spiritual growth? It is to believe the good news of the gospel and all of its benefits, some of which we're gonna get to in just a second here. Even though we're naturally inclined to hope in something less. Even though that I'm naturally inclined to put my hope in something like the health of my marriage, as good as that thing is, um, my part, my role, and my spiritual growth is to believe the good news of the gospel and all of its benefits, even when I'm inclined to hope in something less. All right. And, And the thing is, think about this. Believing the gospel in real time is actually a hard thing to do. And why is that? I think it's. I think this is the case for a couple reasons. Number one, it seems too good to be true. It seems really too good to be true. But secondly, and maybe more uh, more accurately for why it's hard, is because our hearts, my heart, I'll speak for me. My heart is is so squirrely and continually trying to find something other than the gospel to put its hope in and to boast about and you know, to find security in. And it's true, and and Martin Martin Luther said that the default mode of the human heart is religion. Like think about your computer, like if, you know, computer default, like it always goes back to the main thing. The default mode of the human heart is religion, which the principle of religion is I obey and therefore I'm accepted. Like our heart is always inclining back in this direction unless we reorient it. And, and it's a constant gravitating away from the gospel to lesser things. And so let's look at what happens. Like what happens in real time when we do cling to these lesser things? Like what, what functionally happens in our, in our lives when we do this? And so we'll, we'll turn to Luke chapter 18 to, um, to uh, get an answer to this. In Luke chapter 18... Uh, starting in verse nine, it says, "And so speaking of Jesus, he told this parable to some who trusted in them, to who trusted in themselves that they were righteous." So notice just right off the bat what we're talking about here. We're talking about self righteousness. And so, what happens when we trust in ourselves for our righteousness? The verse tells us. It says he tur- he told this parable to certain ones who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Like this is the inevitable consequence of self-righteousness wherever wherever you find it, inside the church, outside the church, anywhere that self-righteousness is being, that someone is on the road of self-righteousness, this is the inevitable consequence of finding our identity, of finding our worth, of finding our value, of finding our security, of finding our safety, of finding our hope, our justification in any other thing, no matter how good that thing might be. And, you know, and if we've been doing this for a long time, we realize, maybe consciously, unconsciously, like, man, I hold people in contempt when I do that. We can make our contempt very subtle, That's what I'm trying to say. And yet, Contempt is always detectable, and it always impacts, negatively impacts relationships. And so we, we see Jesus confronting the Pharisees about this thing of this thing self righteousness all through the Gospels. Um, we see it here in this parable. He goes on, he says, Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. He trusted in himself that he was righteous and treated others with contempt. He says, this is what I trust in. I, I, I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. And I am so glad that I'm not like this guy. Um, We see it again a couple chapters previously. Um, I'll just kind of paraphrase it. But in Luke 15, we see it play out in the older brother, in uh, in the parable of the prodigal son. Remember his angry speech to his father. So the prodigal son had come home. Son's out there. He hears all this party. He's like, what's going on? A servant tells him what's happening. And it says that he refused to go into the party to celebrate with his brother. And when his dad came out to entreat him, he addressed him this way. He says, look. He starts his speech with the word look. He says, I have always, I have all these years I have served you and i have never neglected a single command of yours. In that word serve, it's, in, the, in the original, it could also be translated slave. So it's, a, it's the word that means servant. And so depending on the context, sometimes it shows up as servant, sometimes as slave. And if you have the NIV, that passage says, all these years I've slaved for you and i have never neglected a single command of yours. Again, he trusted in himself that he was righteous and treated others with contempt. What did he trust in? All these years he'd serve his father. He'd never neglected a single command, and yet here he was hating his brother and his father in this story. And th- the thing is is, uh, we find that the same thing happens when we make with the things that we make our source of worth. So we totally do this when it comes to politics. When we put our hope in a political perspective, and then look down on those who disagree. Or if our identity is wrapped up in how well we parent, we'll inevitably look down on the parent in the grocery store with the crying baby. Am I right? I've been there. Because really this is my list. The list that I've constructed here, this is my list. Like all these things. So, um, well, except for this one. If, you're, if your identity is in the fact that you've made a lot of money, and you'll tend to look down your nose on people who haven't. But maybe for some reason, you know, you, your identity is in the fact that you're poor. You'll tend to look down your nose on all those greedy rich people. Or if your identity is in the fact that you're the good kid, you'll tend to look down on the bad kids. And if your identity is in the fact that you're the bad kid, you'll look down your nose on the, on the good kids. And if your identity is in the fact that you homeschool, you'll tend to hold in contempt public schoolers. And if you send your kids to public school, or if you go to public school, you'll tend to look down, and that's your thing. gives you a sense of self-identity. Then you'll tend to look down your nose at homeschoolers. And on and on. I mean, no matter how we shape our list, that's the inevitable outcome of of self-righteousness. But this is actually only when we're feeling confident in the thing that we trust, in which we trust. But oftentimes we don't. Oftentimes we feel really insecure about the thing in which we trust, And that's when we feel depressed, or we get condemned, or we get defensive or touchy. And so this road of self-righteousness, it has ditches on both sides. On the one side, we can fall off into the ditch of, when we're feeling confident in the thing in which we trust, we can fall off on the ditch of pride and contempt. And then typically, we shoot off into the other side, into the ditch when we're feeling insecure about our thing of condemnation and failure. Okay, so let's go back to Philippians 3 where Paul's gonna give us the remedy to this problem. Back to Philippians 3. Paul says, whatever gain I had, so again, here he is, he's talking about his list. I counted I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Paul says in comparison to Jesus Christ, even if you put all of these things that he just listed, his whole resume, if you put all these things together, it is all loss. And the, the, it's actually the interesting. The modern translators, they take that word rubbish and they sort of clean it up. In the original language, that word means excrement. Poo-poo for the younger ones. I don't know what excrement means. Paul is saying that all the things that he would naturally cling to for his righteousness are a pile of you-know-what in comparison to what he now has in Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying here. And then verse 9, which in my, in my opinion is one of the most important verses in the Bible. Paul says, I count all these other things as a loss in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. And this phrase is used by Paul, this phrase of being in him. It's used by Paul, I think, something like 140 times in the New Testament. And so whether it's in him or in whom or in Christ or in the beloved or in Jesus. And it's not just an abstract construct to kind of like describe. It's, this is literally where we are spiritually, geographically. Like this is our latitude and longitude, spiritually speaking. Like right now, physically, geographically, we're in Solid Rock Church here in Fort Worth, Texas. But spiritually, our geography, where we find ourselves is we are in Christ. We are in him. And I love using this as an example to illustrate this. This is a little Lego guy that I have in one hand and a see-through cup that I have in, in the other. Lego guy represents us. And the see-through cup represents Christ. And the Bible describes us as in Him. We are in Him. Paul says, We are in Him that I may be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own, apart, well, a, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, like apart from Him, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. See, here we're talking about a righteousness that is not inherent in us. It's not something that we're producing. It's something that comes from the outside and is credited to us. It's an accounting idea. Like this thing has been deposited to your account. Uh, Theologians call it an alien righteousness. It's something completely apart from who I am and what I am. But it's, it, it's, you know, the Bible describes it as we've been given a robe of righteousness, the robe of Christ's righteousness. You are clothed in Christ. It's a thing that's not inherent in me. And so if you're here and you're a Christian, this is your righteousness. This illustration of this, this little Lego guy in the cup. This alone is your righteousness. This alone is my righteousness. We have been clothed with the sinless Son of God, who, as Jason pointed out from the, uh, read from the, or uh, referenced the passage last week, when Jesus came up out of the water of baptism, the voice from heaven, from his Father said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And that's where you are. You are in the one in whom the Father is well pleased. When the Father sees you now, he cannot but see Christ. In fact, the Bible uses the language of marriage to describe this unity between us and him. And in, in, the, in the passage in Ephesians chapter 5, uh, Paul says, he says, um, in that, that famous passage about husbands and wives, he says that, um, oh, i paraphrasing, there. I'm trying to remember from, from memory, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife And the two shall become one flesh. One inseparable unity. And Paul says, and this is a great mystery. And then there's this zinger that's like, wait, what the heck? What did he just say there? He says, this is a great mystery, but I am referring to Christ and the church when he talks about this this inseparable unity. And it is. It's the language of marriage where I bring everything that I am, including all of my sin, and he takes it upon himself and is judged at the cross. And he brings everything that he is and we become this one inseparable unity by us being in Christ. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, For our sake he, God, made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. He, and then he went to the cross and, and was crushed in our place so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And so the question is, do we really believe this? Like, if we were to pass out like, theological scantrons right now, like I bet you every one of us would get the answer right. But do we really believe this, like when the rubber meets the road, like in the everyday stuff of life? Like on Tuesday when you have a fight with your wife? And, and I think a good way to get a hand on, if we do really believe this, is, is to just think about your most gut reaction to this question. When God thinks about you right now, what is the look on his face? Is he angry? Is he annoyed? Is he apathetic? Is he, is he thinking to himself, when is this guy ever going to get it together? You know, I think our, our gut reaction to this question tells us a lot about what we think about God. And, and whether or not we, we actually do believe the gospel, like practically speaking, like in real time. Like not, do I believe the gospel like am I saved? But like where the rubber meets the road, do I practically believe the good news of the gospel? Because here's a similar question. What can you do to change the way that God feels about you? And I think if we look through scripture, we would come to the conclusion that that. If the, if the look on the Father's face toward us, toward you, toward me, is anything other than joy and delight, that we, then we are simply not actively, presently believing the good news of the gospel. Because this is what's true about us. We have been inseparably united to the Son of God. We have been clothed with Jesus Christ through our faith in Him, and we have a righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. And in comparison to the lesser things that we're inclined to hope in, this is a righteousness that never wanes. This is a righteousness that that never diminishes. This is a a righteousness that guarantees the eternal smile of the Father because the same way that he feels about his son is the same way that he feels about you because you're united with him. This is a righteousness that we never have to be insecure about. And this is a righteousness that we can never feel smug about or look down on others for because we realize that this came to us by the sheer grace of God and by none of our own merit. And so Paul says there are two kinds of righteousness. We kind of start to wind down here. There's two kinds of righteousness. There is self-righteousness and there is Jesus Christ as our righteousness. And my question to us this morning is um, Is this true for you today? Holding up this cup with the see through cup with the little Lego guy. Like, is this how you see yourself today? Again, it's hard to keep our hearts centered on this reality. Luther is said to have said, and I can't remember, I'm going to paraphrase this something to the effect of that this message of credited righteousness. Because it's so foreign to our thinking, I think he was speaking to pastors. He was like, our job is something along the lines of to constantly be talking about this um, and something along the lines of to pound it into the heads of our parishioners constantly with something to that effect is, is what he said. Because it, it is, we, it's like we, we need to just be continually reminded of this reality and so again, what is, what is my role in my spiritual growth? My role is, is, is to continue to believe the good news and all of its implications when I'm inclined at all times, but especially when I'm inclined to put my hope in something less. So as we start to uh, wrap up, let's, I want to throw out some questions for reflection. And um, so here's the first one. What are some of the lesser hopes that have been a source of identity or worth for you? And how have you seen this play out as bad news in your life? Number three, why does it seem difficult to keep our hearts centered on the good news that we've been credited with Christ's righteousness? And number four, how would a greater awareness of God's favor toward you lead to healthier relationships in your life? Like, what would change? The last thing I want to do before I close this in prayer is... um, is just give an invitation. I've been praying for this and just praying that there would be someone in this room, whether first service, second service, both services, who is just ready to hear the gospel. I remember the time in my life when I heard the gospel as if it was for the first time. I was the lowest hanging fruit at that moment. I was ready to hear it. God had prepared the soil. Whatever, that, whatever it is that goes on in the background that brings a person to the place where they are ready to hear it. And so let me just kind of summarize this series uh, as part of an invitation. So maybe that's you today. Here's where, we've, here's where we started. Here's where we've, we've come. We started, like Jason mentioned, with the question, to whom, am I, to, whom am I, to whom am I accountable? And we're accountable to the God who made us, who is a God of love. That's how he describes himself. God is love. And he's a relational God. He, he, is, he is a relational God. He is one God, three persons who for all of eternity have been in this love relationship with each other. And when we were made, we were made in the image of that God. We were made for relationship. For love, a loving relationship with each other and with God. We are made to know the love of God. That is is the God to whom we are accountable. That's the God who made us. And that script is like plan A, and and there is no plan B. We were made to know and love God. And so in what condition do we find ourselves? We find ourselves in the same condition that Adam was in the garden after he ate the forbidden fruit. God said, in the day that you eat of this, you will surely die. And apart from Christ, before we know Christ, that is, we're in a spiritually dead state. We are alienated from God. Ephesians says that we are dead in trespasses and sins. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us has gone our own way. And so what did God do? He sent his son, as David a couple weeks ago just beautifully described. He sent his son to live the life that we should have lived, and then die the death that we deserved on our behalf. And what's our part in this? Actually, before I get to that, so what does that death do? It pays the debt for all of our sins. And what is our part in this? Our part is simply to say, in response to this offer, I believe, yes. And for all intents and purposes, from our perspective, It is to see the hand that's reaching down to us and by faith say, I'm going with you. I believe you. I want you. I see that you want me. I say yes. And we find ourselves born again and placed in Christ. So much more to be said about this. And then from that point, it's what we've described today. It's just to continue to believe this good news. And so, if that's you here, if you're here today, and you maybe this is the, f- the first time you're really clearly hid- hearing this, or maybe this is the first time the Holy Spirit is making this super clear to you, I just want to invite you that all you have to do, is just take, just just believe. God is offering you, this free salvation, this free relationship, this free reconciliation, and, um, and it's yours for the taking. Father, we thank you so much for this series. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you that it is the power of God to salvation for all who believe, not just for things in the past tense. It's not just saving us sometime in the future in heaven. It's the thing that you use to save us day by day by day today in real time. And we thank you for our salvation that we have, past tense, whether we, how, no matter how well we walk in, in our salvation today, but we thank you you've provided being in Christ all that we need for life and godliness. And we thank you, God, for the gospel and all it entails. We we make it just more and more bright and real and captivating to our hearts just day after day. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.